Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Good evening. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta. I'm your host. I am a date coach and matchmaker over at singleinthecity.ca. Today, we have a special guest in studio with us. We're talking about the effects that cancer has on dating and relationships and how it can impact your sex life. Now, according to the Canadian Cancer Society statistics publication, in 2017, an estimated 103,100 men and 103,200 women were diagnosed with cancer. On average, 565 Canadians were diagnosed with cancer every single day. Wow. Based on 2010 estimates, one in two Canadians are expected to develop cancer during their lifetime. After a cancer diagnosis, everything in your life changes, including relationships. Some relationships may become stronger because of the shared experience of cancer, while others may become more strained because of the challenges that come with the journey. Joining us today for this interesting discussion is Sandra Rothoak. She is a registered psychosexual therapist. Sandra is also a registered social worker and a registered marriage and family therapist. Welcome, Sandra, to the show. Thank you so much. I also want to say that it's really important to remember with those stats that you were talking about, that over 60% of Canadians right now that are diagnosed with cancer, they're having a survival rate of at least five years and more after their cancer diagnosis. That's why I think this is such an important conversation because cancer isn't a bad word and we need to think it about... It is a bad word. Well, it... Okay. In terms of the can, the cancer diagnosis, yes. But in terms of a death sentence, no. And I think that's why this is so important because people have to learn how to want to have a quality of life because people are surviving. They are. After, yes, yeah. after a cancer diagnosis. What does your work involve as a psychosexual therapist? So I see individuals and couples who come into my office for talk therapy, and they're coming in for many different reasons in terms of their relationships, dysfunction, having sex, not having sex, learning how to communicate with each other. And also, too, when a couple comes in and one person's been diagnosed with cancer, it's, it is a, a life-altering experience. And so often they're coming in to learn many different things about themselves. Because let's remember something in terms of cancer and its treatment, in terms of your life, that it's going to affect you physically. It's going to affect your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your roles, and your relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, once someone is diagnosed with that horrible C word, yes, sorry, I mm. think it's horrible, cancer, how do you suggest that they talk to their partner about the diagnosis? Right up like any conversation you would be having, you need to let them know that I have a, some things, I went to the doctor, I found a lump, and or haven't been feeling well. So to me, that shouldn't be a shock to the partner if they are communicating with each other. And the person would be saying, I've had this diagnosis or I need to go now for further testing. I want you to go with me. And they talk about what it's going to mean. I always say to people, please, please don't get anxious until you really know and it's been confirmed to you about a but diagnosis. But easier said than done. Absolutely. I but mean, that's, that has to be one of the scariest things that you could ever go through to be told that you have cancer. 
I think, so what about any other illness then? Or any other illness, right? yes. But yes. I think growing up, that's the one that always scared me the most. Yeah, but I think too, this is why it's so important. We have to want to reframe this idea of, of a diagnosis of cancer. People are not dying. People are living with cancer. And we have to want to make sure that we're telling people that they can have a life after a diagnosis and going through treatment. Yeah, especially if they catch it on time. Absolutely. That's why it's so important that we're aware, you know, if we're talking about women, that's why it's so important that we do do a monthly breast check. If you notice anything out of the ordinary, don't be shy. Go and see your And we're talking about men too. Absolutely. Because oftentimes when they, there is something going on, they don't go to the doctor. Yeah, I agree with you. And I have so many men that have come in who, you know, they didn't go to the doctor. And it was finally that they noticed that one of their testicles was hurting or swollen that they finally went in. Women, I think, are like that as well. I don't think the older generation, the first thing is, well, let's go to the doctor. And you think the younger generation, that's the way they think? Yeah, I think younger generation are more proactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. So what are some questions that are safe to ask your partner who has cancer? If they haven't already gone with them to the doctor, I always really encourage that you want to check in about the diagnosis, what does it mean, what's treatment going to be like, what is our timeline. Also, we have to think about um, scheduling and routines, what's going to change. So you want Especially if you have children. Yes, absolutely. And so we want to make sure that the couple, and whether it's a couple plus children, are going to be as stabilized as possible during the um, pre-treatment, treatment, and even post-treatment. And there are different things if you want, we can talk about in terms of helping the couple make sure that they feel as secure as they can. In terms of technology, this is what's amazing now, and I think that technology has its strengths and its weaknesses. In this arena, to me, it's a strength because you can look online now. There's a lot of free apps that are out there in terms of helping couples, in terms of what questions to ask your oncologist when you go in. There are apps that help with scheduling to help other you know, supports in terms of family or friends who want to bring in food while you're having treatment. There are actual apps that allow people to go online and put in what day, what they're going to be bringing in terms of helping the couple and the family. As well, we need to remember there are a lot of community resources And people have to advocate for themselves and to find out. Because if we're here, let's say, in Toronto, we can look at the social work departments at the hospital, the Canadian Cancer Society, the American Cancer Society, and there's a a, a plethora of other cancer organizations in the city and outside of Toronto that can be really supportive. We have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about new partners when you have a cancer diagnosis on the Dating and Relationship Show. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta. My uh, co-host is missing today, um, but it's just me and Sandra Rothel. She's a registered psychosexual therapist. We're talking about the effect that cancer has on dating and relationships and how it can impact your sex life. And uh, so I want to dive into having new partners when you get a cancer diagnosis. So should you be diving into a new relationship after a cancer diagnosis or should you stay single and have no partner? What is you, what do you think? Right. So 
I think this is a really personal decision that everyone has to make for themselves. I would say probably the majority of people are in shock and sometimes in denial about having their uh, diagnosis. So to ru- to rush into dating right after you've been diagnosed is probably not the <laughs> smartest choice to make because uh, you want to you want to know for yourself that you're emotionally feeling safe mm-hmm. and secure, and that's gonna be really difficult after being told um, very serious information in terms of your health. Yeah, I I I agree. I think that you need to take care of your health first. Yeah. Also, too, we have to remember about the timeline, and so. Once, when you've been diagnosed often with any illness, and we're talking about cancer today, people go into survival mode. Mm-hmm. And often that means that other areas in their lives get put on hold. And so one of those areas would be dating. And because they're in survival, what they want to know is, what am I going to do? How am I going to help myself? What is my treatment? And when do I start my but treatment? But I do know of people that have been struggling with cancer for a few years. Yes. And they're getting tired of being alone. Yes. They don't want to be alone anymore because they don't have someone, you know, that person, that one person at, that can support them at night and love them unconditionally. And they miss that part. But sure. I, I also think it's difficult to get into a relationship um, when you do have cancer because it's, it's difficult on the other person, something that some people might not accept. Yes, and I think though that's why, I mean, you're talking about someone you said that you knew, they've been working through. They've been with, working through cancer, cancer for five for, years. Okay, so to me at that, you know, they should want to think about if they want to date. But I can also imagine it's emotionally really risk-taking because you can feel rejected. But I also know couples who started dating. Um, I find the younger, gen- younger generation, they tend to tell uh, people that they're dating pretty quickly after they start dating that they have had cancer. Yeah, so that and, was going to be my next question. Yeah, and so, then they... A lot of people say, okay, you know, thanks for letting me know, and they continue to date. I haven't had a lot of stories where people have been rejected after um, they were to- they told the new partner that they were dating, that they... Uh, they weren't rejected? No. Well, I haven't, that's, that's positive information. Yeah, yeah. I like to hear stuff like that. I haven't that. had a lot of stories like that. I assume, of course, there are stories like that, but I also think, too, well... Better to know early than not to know if someone's going to be able to cope and function if you have an illness but and how to take too care of you. Early, I don't think, because you want to have some sort of trust in the person because you're being vulnerable with them. So if you just start meeting it, like let's just say you meet someone and two weeks later, yeah, you, you know things are progressing very very slowly. But two weeks later, I don't know if you want to you know, tell them that you have cancer. I think maybe when things are starting to get a little bit more serious, um, then that's maybe when you should have the talk. Do you agree with that? Um, No, I think it's better to tell them earlier because of the implications. If you tell someone after a couple months that actually I need to tell you something and I have cancer or I've had a diagnosis, I've gone through treatment of cancer, it could really set up a dynamic for trust. And how do you trust each other? So, I you know I think it can yeah go, I think this one's uh, this one is is an iffy one. I think like it can go either way, really. True, I will say the majority of the people that I've worked with in terms of my in my practice, they tell people earlier than later. So like within a, a week or two. Mm, within for sure up to three weeks. Yeah, 
up to a month. And if, if they are really starting to see each other more and more, yeah, within a month, yeah, they let them know. Okay. And um, this is a question. So when I was doing a bit of research on this, I, I found that a lot of people had uh, certain questions and certain ones kept popping up. And, and that is, is cancer contagious? Can, uh, can you hurt your partner when having sex? Okay, so let's start with the first question. <laughs> yeah. is, is cancer, cancer contagious? No. The answer is no. 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 But, no, but the no. question kept coming up. So I'm, you know, people kept asking this question. Yeah, and I completely believe it because people have asked this question to me. The answer is no. Cancer is not contagious. Um, we do want to think about, though, when someone is going through treatment and if they've had surgery, what the impact is going to be in terms of if the couple is going to resume and have a sexual relationship, they're going to have intercourse, if they're going to have oral sex, we have to think about positioning. Um, these are all really, really important questions that a patient should be able to talk with the nurse. They can talk with their oncologist about because again, depending on the treatment and surgery, let's say we're talking about a woman, um, it could be that they need to be referred to see a physiotherapist who will help them around pelvic because they may have uh, pain on intercourse. So if they see a physiotherapist, often through the hospital, they can help with certain exercises in terms of the pelvic floor and helping to strengthen the muscles for less pain. If this is a man and he has prostate cancer, then we definitely need to think about how is he going to have erections in the future? What does that mean in terms of self-esteem for the couple? So these are definitely questions you want to be able to talk about with your partner and also the specialist. Very interesting conversation. Stay with us. We have so much to talk about on the Dating and Relationship Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to increase sexual arousal when dealing with cancer. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We are back. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta. With me in studio today is Sandra Rothel. She's a registered psychosexual therapist. We're talking about the effects that cancer has on dating and relationships and how it can impact your sex life. Now, before the break, we were talking about cancer? Is it contagious? And from what you were saying, cancer is not contagious and couples are still having sex with cancer. <gasps> yes, they are. Which I think this can be really shocking for people, but it shouldn't be because just because you have cancer doesn't mean that you're not a sexual being and that you want to be held, that you want to be felt to feel secure in your relationship. Now, when I talk about being held, that's one of the things that can be a change. Often during treatment, surgery, or uh, even post-treatment, a lot of people can feel more sensitive in terms of touch. So that's something that the couple will definitely have to talk about, what feels okay and what doesn't feel okay in terms of levels of pain. Um, often we talk a lot about the sexual positions and couples need to be more open-minded in terms of what's going to work for them now versus what worked for them before. And that's something that we have to remember. We always have to be wanting to be, uh, you know what, a person's state of mind to me is probably the most important part of a, the sexual experience and how a person feels about themselves. And so we have to want to really communicate that to people. Your state of mind is going to help you so much. I think this is why 
we want to talk about, again, the positions, uh, what's going to feel comfortable, not comfortable. Often, you know, you might have had sex only in the evenings, but you might be too tired now in the evening. So we have to reframe it and think, okay, well, let's I'm not even sick and I'm tired in the evenings. Well, okay. (laughs) So just think, you want to be flexible. and maybe You have to be flexible. Right. You want to have sex... Right after work. During, or in the morning, during the day. <laughs> What's going to work for both of you? And also, um, you know, the American Cancer Society, on their website, they have a great section where they go over and they show different pictures of sexual positions for couples to try who have experienced and going through cancer. We also want to remember, too, that some people will use pain medication. The only thing with using pain medication is make sure that if you are going to take it to help yourself to feel less pain, remember also it can make you sleepy. So if you're going to do and that, I you want to make sure. I would it would lower your libido taking pain meds. It depends though. I think uh, why? Because they almost numb you. Okay, I uh, mean, th- potentially physically they're going to help with the pain, but that doesn't mean emotionally that they're going to numb you because you're still there with the person that you want to be with. Well, I dated a guy that was addicted to pain meds, and he had a hard time having getting the, it up. Having the erection. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. And so maybe this would be, well, I'm just thinking, do you think maybe then this would be an idea for more women? Although I will say that they do suggest it for men as well. I, I don't know. Hmm, okay. I'm that's an, on that. Yeah, that's I'm an, just telling you yeah. from my experience. No, that's an interesting one. Now, cancer and its treatment can change the way you feel about yourself and lower your self-esteem. So what are some ways you can boost your self-esteem when you when you feel so low? Sure. So we want to remember that the, the idea is knowing you're not going to be the same person that you were. And if we can get our heads around that... that Ever? Well, no, you're, you've, you've had a different experience, but isn't that the same with many sort of more stressful or traumatic experiences true, in your life? True, true, right? yeah. When so I, I think, think about it now, yeah. Yeah, we want to be able to know that you can still, you're okay, you're good, um, but it's different. And so this is why I think it's really important to be able to access different resources and know your body, your mind, it's changing. How do you want to start to help to make yourself feel good? That's whether that's with your partner and talking, but that could also be about understanding different benefits to how to make yourself feel good. Do you ever deal with people that have lost their breasts or might have lost a limb or... Yes, absolutely. And so one is there's post-surgery in terms of reconstruction. Um, I think some of the programs that are offered in the city, like Look Good, Feel Good for Women, is a great program because it helps you to want to remember that you can feel good and feel attractive with yourself and to your partner. Uh, I also think too, I know I really wanted to make sure that we talked about this today was lubricant. Yes. And the benefits. I was going to ask you about yeah. lubricant. So it's so funny because we're saying, well, how do you make yourself feel better? Use lubricant. And I know it sounds funny, but the more that you are, you feel self-empowered, the better you can feel about you. And so lubricant is one of those side effects that I think is amazing because it can help to ease pain and make you feel comfortable but and it, in charge of your body. But how is that going to help you with your self-esteem? Because it allows you to say to yourself that maybe I'm dry, but I don't, and I want to have intercourse with my partner, um, or I want to be able to masturbate or use a, a vibrator, but it's too painful. And to me, being able to say to yourself, but you know what, here's something I can do to help myself, that's going to help you feel self-confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the changes that your body goes through and how 
do you and your partner adjust to that? So this really depends. If we're talking about men, we're talking about women. Everyone will be different in terms of their diagnosis and if they're having surgery and um, their treatments. So radiation, chemotherapy, these are side effects that you really want to be able to talk to your doctor, the specialist, and the nurses about in terms for them to explain to you what the changes are going to be. We need to take a break. We'll okay. be right back. You're uh, listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Sandra Rothfolk here, registered psychosexual therapist, is teasing me, telling me I'm taking selfies over here and puckering my lips. I was not. It's erotic. <laughs> well, we're talking about sex, so That's, I'm feeling sexual. It's good. You should be. So, you know, the whole puckering of the lips. Makes you feel good. Yeah, we're talking about the effect that cancer has on dating and relationships and uh, how it can impact your sex life. And you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Since we're talking about sex, what if you are not in the mood for sex, like ever? Like, so you've been diagnosed with cancer. And there are some people that don't have cancer and they're not in the mood for sex, okay? Mm-hmm. So, but we're talking about sex and cancer today so should you force it should you take one for the team okay. no i don't agree with that um i don't think but that, that happens should... all the time it's almost like okay let's it, do it this doesn't, it let's doesn't get... mean it's okay okay let's get this over with close your eyes just hurry up just do it like yes i i don't think that that means it's still okay and that both people have to be wanting to uh, consent to having the sexual experience but this is why when we think about sex it doesn't mean that it only has to be about intercourse the the sexual intimate experience can be more than just the intercourse. I could ask a couple to read an erotic book and read it to each other. And then if they're enjoying that, they just enjoy the experience of reading a sexual book together. Or what about the idea if one person doesn't feel well, uh, but the other person would like a sexual experience and they both agree on wanting to fulfill those needs and wants? How about masturbation? This is why we want to make sure that everyone has lube on the side in their bedside table. Make sure you always have lube available, um, especially with any type of dryness. So lube can be really helpful. But what if someone's just lost their sexual libido? And, right. But they want to please their partner because they, they don't want their partner to stray. Okay, so I would hope that they'd want to please their partner, not for the reason of them straying, but it's because something that But it they, happens. Well... I have to be the devil's advocate. Yeah, here. I know. I hear you, and I hear and I what agree. people tell me, and I agree. It's but a problem. I don't think that that should be the reason why someone would, should want to be with their partner sexually. Because if you're if you're having sex or an intimate experience because you're afraid they're going to leave you, there's a bigger problem, and you should be really focusing on that problem, not sex as a way of you know it, that's a band aid solution. And I, I think that we have to make sure that we're, we're acknowledging that these are Band-Aids. And Band-Aids peel off. Mm-hmm. And there's always something underneath that Band-Aid. What are some alternatives to having intercourse? Sure. So this is why I think we need to think about masturbation. We can talk about oral sex. We can talk about giving each other sexual massages. Again, all of these factors. Role-playing. 
We have yes, we have to make sure though that everyone um, is okay with touch because of any types of surgery or during during treatment. We also want to remember, and you should always ask the specialists as well in terms of with intercourse. You want to be able to use condoms, um, and it really depends also in terms of your treatment whether you they say you don't need to or that you should be using condoms. Why would you need to use condoms? Um, often after, within the first few days after a chemotherapy treatment, you it is recommended that you use condoms in terms of any fluids. People actually have sex right after chemotherapy? Yes, yes. Yeah, because I heard some people like go the opposite way. Some people don't want to have sex, and then some people want sex more often than not. Well, it depends. Are we, you know, some of it could be, are we talking about males, females? It could also have to do with their hormones. And again, I'm not a medical doctor. This is why I really encourage when my clients come, we have to make sure that you have a, a solid list in front of you of questions that you can ask the specialist in terms of sex, not just the medical side. You want to be able to ask them questions about sex. Okay. Now, from your experience, do you find that men tend to retreat or pull away when dealing with a partner who is ill? And I think about some of the experiences I had with past relationships, and there's one that really stood out in my mind, um, and we actually ended our relationship because of it. I dated this guy from Ohio for about three years, and I decided to move there to see if, you know, we'd get along and if yeah. we were compatible. And this one day, I got I this- think you were in, you were you were liking him. Well, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this one day I got this crazy nosebleed. I mean, my the blood was gushing so fast out of my nose and then um, and also down my throat. Like it was pouring down my throat. Like I thought it was going to choke. Like I was so afraid and I kept saying to him, what do I do? What do I do? Because I, I remember that you had to go, you know, uh, with your head your nose and, and, yes. and, and, and like go forward, right? Yeah. Or, and he kept saying, no, go back, go back. And then I'm swallowing all this blood. And I was, I was freaking out. I was um, getting some anxiety too. And in that moment, he had no compassion, like whatsoever. He didn't want to help me, would Google anything. He just left the room and left me all alone. And then finally, like an hour later when it went away, I, that was it for us. Like I started sleeping in a separate bed and, and our relationship ended because I thought, you know what, is this how you're, this is, I, I only have a nosebleed. Okay, buddy. Right, right. Is this how you're going to deal with like, what if I got an illness? How are you going to deal with it? Yeah. Like, no compassion but whatsoever. What do you think happened for you? Why did you shut down? Why did I shut down? Yeah. Why didn't you say something to him? Like, hey, I didn't, I don't like the way that you responded to me when well, I, I was did. in distress. I did, but he just ignored it. Okay, good. Oh, and then he ignored it. Yeah, he ignored yeah, okay. it. Then to me, that's a signal. That was a signal. And a, yeah. a couple of other times, you know, where I wasn't feeling well and, and they, I just found that men just don't have as much compassion. Now, I don't think all men are like that. No, I agree. I don't, you know, that would be a shame for us to stereotype and put all guys in the same category. Um, generally, women tend to be more of the caregivers. Guys like to go into problem solving. So we have to take a break, but we're okay. going to come right back to this because I want to hear your answer. Okay, we're going to problem the, solve that. Right. Do uh-huh. men tend to retreat or pull away when dealing with a partner who is ill right here on the Dating and Relationship Show. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We are uh, talking about the effects that cancer has on dating and relationships and how it can impact your sex life. Uh, This is the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta. 
In studio with me is Sandra Rothoak. She's a registered psychosexual therapist. Before the break, I was telling you guys a little story about a, a, a nosebleed and, <laughs> and how this boyfriend, um, he, he retreated and he pulled away when I was in, in crisis. So I was asking Sandra, from her experience, do you find that men do retreat and pull away? when dealing with a partner who is ill. Yeah, and I think, again, like we were saying, we can't stereotype all men. Um, you know, the, the couples, and maybe I've been gifted in the couples that I've seen because both, if it's a heterosexual couple or even a gay couple, where both partners have been present and wanted to support and each other. And that's amazing. Right. You need so a maybe, partner like that. Maybe I've been gifted to be seeing that population more. Um, but I think it also really depends not so much on looking at the whether it's a male or female, but we have to look at the person and how they're brought up and what they saw in terms of role modeling and how they have learned to care or not care for their partner. That to me is what's really important because we could say there are a lot of women out there who freeze and they don't know what to do and they become overwhelmed, and they retreat from their partner who is a man who's had a diagnosis of prostate cancer, and they don't know how to deal with anger. Often patients, one way of dealing, you know, some of the emotions that come up when you're diagnosed are going to be around fear, sadness, anger. There's highs and lows. It's a roller coaster. Even joy once you've been finished your treatment. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think we need to remember that it's not so much about who's male, female, as it is about how the people as a couple deal with crisis and what are the skills or the strategies that they can work together and as individuals to help each other, mm -hmm. right? That's what's going to be really important. And often when people come in to see a specialist, that's what the specialist is going to help them with in the immediate in terms of after their, treat, after their diagnosis. What are the skills that we can do to help you? And should you be more realistic or optimistic or both when both. we're dealing with a cancer diagnosis? Both, yeah. both, okay. both. Yeah. We always, I think we, you know, I, I always get nervous around absolute words like never, you never, you always. But in this situation, to me, absolutely. I know someone going through cancer right now and they are so optimistic. Um, and it's really helped them. Yeah, and I think it's really important. That's why it's the same thing, like I said earlier. That person's state of mind is probably the most important part of, of how they can help themselves. I started meditating recently, and it's really been helping me, I yeah, think. Yeah, because meditation is about a connection to your mind, but also to your body. And if you believe in the idea of the soul, it's another extension. And it's just about taking time out for yourself, yes. even if it's 10 minutes a day, time every out, day. Sure, for you. And it's a relaxation method, which allows our nervous systems, which are walking around pretty much buzzing all the time, it allows them our, our whole being to want to calm down. Look, I really believe I had once read a quote when they said, you know, the grass is always greener. I actually don't think that's true. No, I, it's not true and at why? all. And why? Why is that? Because I think that that grass that they think is greener, it's just fake grass. <laughs> it's just not possible. It's just not possible in day-to-day -day life. Yeah, people are always searching for something where they have they could have the best thing standing right in front of them and they don't even know it, you yeah. know, until they lose it. Yeah. And then they and they're out there searching and they realize, "Oh, you know what? This sucks." Yeah. It's like, yeah. And you why, had something great. Right. And, and I let think it that's, go. that's part of human nature. And why we do that to ourselves, that sabotage, 
every time I just shake my head and say, why, why, why? I just do we think do it's this? a society we live in, though. We're never content. We're always looking at everyone else's grass and if it's greener. Yes. You know, and what remember, are they doing? And what are they doing? And oh my goodness, I could be doing that. And I think social media has a lot to blame. Uh, and even news and our, just our society. Yes. Magazines, everything. We sure. want to look like that. We sure. want to look like that. But then the question becomes, when is it good enough? It's never good enough. That's oh. the problem. But, that's, but the, remember, then, the idea is the grass is actually fake. It's just not possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about communication with your partner. Yeah. How can partners communicate effectively their feelings or emotions when they're going through something like this? So the, they have to be able to talk to one another. That's the base. Mm-hmm. And so often that really, um, that can be tricky because that's pre-treatment. And if we have a couple who are having problems talking to each other even before treatment, that's going to be the work that they're going to do when they come in to see a therapist. If they have good communication, they're going to keep that communication open. I always say to people, please make sure every day that you have like 10 to 15 minutes where you check in, often by mid or the end of the day, see how everyone's feeling, what went well during the day, what needs tweaking, especially if if you have children, anything to do around scheduling for the kids. We want to make sure that the couple is able to talk about that or, you know, often check your phone, check the new apps that you might have downloaded to make sure things are organized for the, um, for the kids. And how about helping your partner cope with the changes that are happening to his or her body, having that talk? Right. So I think, again, this isn't one talk. That's an ongoing talk that's happening every day. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling today? Um, do you need help with moving up and down the stairs? If there's a community nurse that's going to be coming in, people should know about those details every day. That's how we talk. That's how we care for each other. And how about, let's, let's offer some advice for the person who's not sick. What does a, a partner need to keep in mind? Patience, patience, patience. Please, please, you want to pace yourself and be patient. I would say that to everybody in this situation and that you should be expecting change. Don't be in denial that things are not changing. Things will change. You don't have to be afraid of the change. Just know that it's important to have support, whether that's extended family, community, friends. Um, You want to make sure that everyone can feel as secure as they can. Keep checking in and get that support that you need. Stay with us. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show. We're talking about cancer and sex and relationships. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm here with my real estate friend, Holly Garvey-Penny. What's up with HGP's tips and trends today? Hi, Sandra. Well, it's a new day and it's time for a new direction. Time to say yes. Yes to building equity for yourself through real estate. Call or email me and let's get started right now. So they can reach you at HEP at bosleyrealestate.com, 416-322-8000. Thanks, Sandra. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. So much to talk about today. We are talking about the effects that cancer has on dating and relationships and how it can impact your sex life. Great show today. Thank you, Sandra Rothoak, registered psychosexual therapist who's in studio with me today. I'm Laura Bellotta. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 
Sandra, I want to talk about how you can make your partner feel secure in the relationship. So how can the partner that does not have cancer help make the partner that has cancer feel secure in the relationship? So first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I'm I love just, having you. Oh, this is the you. second time now. Thank you. And I just, I'm so passionate about this topic. And I think because you have a diagnosis of cancer, it doesn't mean that everything stops. That maybe it will stop for a period of time, but it doesn't mean it's continuous. And this is why I'm so happy. Like we, we need people to know that and you can have positive, cancer and keep positive, keep optimistic. Yes, absolutely. And you can get better. No, you you will get better. Yes, you will get better. So in terms of this question, uh, this really to me is important because we're saying, okay, how do both people want to take care of each other? But in this situation, uh, it's for the partner. And I think it's really important to try and keep a routine and normal, whatever normal is, but normal, normal, normal in terms of the two of you as a couple. Also, you know, there's no harm. Nothing wrong will happen if we're able to say, you know what, I love you today. You look great today. Wow. Um, You know, that looks really nice on you. You want to be able to to nurture someone so that they continue to feel secure in that relationship because there's so many things that are changing. But if we know the foundation is strong, that can only help us in terms of even doing our treatments Mm -hmm. and keeping us positive. So I always say, just make sure that you, you talk to them and let them know that you're doing okay and that you also are getting support because the partner who does not have cancer needs to make sure that they're also getting support and that they're able to talk to their partner about their needs. Support on their own or with their partner? Um, I think it could be either or. And that could mean talking to friends, family, going to see a therapist on your own. It could be individual or it could be as a couple. Because the partner who doesn't have cancer is also going to be going through many different thoughts and feelings about their own lives and what's happening, the future, And there's a lot of fear. Okay, so how do we suggest people cope with their anxieties and prevent feeling overwhelmed on a daily basis? Sure. So we want to try and keep to routine, routine, routine. That's going to be very, very important. This is also why I... Why is routine so important? Because it makes makes us feel that we have control and that we know what's coming. And with anxiety, we can often try and anticipate which makes our anxiety worse. And so if we keep to routine, then we know what, you know, we can manage. We know what's going to happen in that day. It just, it allows us to make us feel better. And what's wrong with that? I think that's really important. I also think it's really, really key to know what the resources are that are available in your community. So um, I have a list for resources that maybe we could post later. I'll actually post them on the Dating and Relationship Show Facebook page. So anyone listening to the show, make your way over there and we'll make sure to list them all. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. those resources also are going to help you to normalize what's happening to you on a day-to-day basis. Is it helpful to connect with other couples that have gone through this or that are going through something similar? And and if so, where can they find such couples? Mm -hmm. Can they call you? um, (laughs) You People, I can connect them. So I can't connect unless, of course, I had consent. But um, some couples really like this and some don't. And they don't want to talk to other people. But often um, through different programs that are available in your local communities, they often have people who are um, cancer spokespeople. 
we'll call them, who are open to being connected and talking with people on the phone or meeting with them for a coffee or at uh, different organizations to talk about the process and, and what happened to them and what happens to you when you go through a, a diagnosis of cancer. So we have time for one more question, okay. and that is, what is uh, what are some of the available therapies that you suggest for people? Sure. So I love the fact that you even asked this question because we want everyone to know that there are options available to them for therapy and not to be ashamed to ask for support. Never be ashamed. No, because that is really going to hurt you in the short term. And I also think in the long term in terms uh, for a, a couple. So um, you can talk through your with your specialists, the nurses, you can see social workers at your hospital. And again, there are major organizations in different cities, towns, where you can call or look up online in terms of getting resources for um, specialists that you could be seeing. Do you believe in Reiki? One more question. Do you believe in Reiki? I do. Yeah. Um, I'm a big advocate for alternative forms of therapy. Um, I'm starting to be, actually. I've seen how it works. And I, when I, used to, I used to work in um, the Vancouver Cancer Center. And we were trained in doing therapeutic touch to help people calm themselves down with anxiety before having treatment. And it was incredible to see how people were able to calm themselves down. So more power to you. That's our show today, Sandra. Thank you so much for coming in. Where can people find you quickly? Oh, right. So I'm located here in downtown Toronto. Please look me up online. My name is Sandra Rothholz, and you can find my website. And you can check out my website, singleinthecity.ca, for upcoming events, matchmaking, and so much more. And please follow us on our uh, Facebook page, Dating and Relationship Show. Have a great week, everybody. Ciao for now. See you next week.